Good evening. Hopefully y'all are awake. It's been a wonderful day in Winchester. Uh, to add two new members of the church in baptism, uh, what an exciting day. Uh, both were unexpected to me, and so that's exciting. Uh, it makes it a very happy day. Uh, when we go to sleep tonight, it's something that we can thank God for, uh, for uh, the changes that have happened in those hearts, and uh, that we can celebrate those two members of the church. Um, it has been a great past week for me and Allison as we have been uh, traveling. Uh, last Friday, not this past Friday, but the week before, we left Winchester and went down to Birmingham and spent Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night with my mom and dad, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night with Allison's mom and dad. And so we've had some time to visit. Uh, we rarely get to go back to our parents' house when it's not Thanksgiving or Christmas or a birthday party or something like that. And so it was very refreshing for us uh, to get to spend some time with our families. But let me tell you, we missed you. And it feels like we've been away for a long time. And we are glad to be back home. Uh, Winchester, uh, while we've only been here for three years, uh, Winchester is home to us. And while we get to go visit family, this feels like home. And I'll echo some things that Joseph has said. We love being here. We love working with you. And we're thankful to have a supporting congregation behind us. Um, one thing I'm very thankful for is two weeks ago, we were out in California. I was leading singing for something called Equip Conference at a church out there. And while I was there, uh, Keith and Connie Hines uh, t went with our youth group to Freed Hardeman and took them to Rush, uh, which is a youth rally. And uh, how awesome it is that we have people who are willing to step up and do stuff like that for our youth. And uh, it just is refreshing that we get to work with a group like that. Uh, and they're not the only ones that have stepped up and helped us in our time here, of course. We have lots of help, and we're so thankful for you. Uh, and we're looking forward to a long future here in Winchester. Uh, I want you to imagine that right now, that as a group, we just decided to kick you out. We just said, hey, you're no longer in here, get out. You have to be outside these doors. Now, I want you to also imagine that just five minutes later, we begged for you to come back in. Now, I don't know what your reaction would be. Probably not very kind. <laughs> if we were not very kind to you, you probably wouldn't be very kind back. Uh, and running back to us. But this is the scene that we have in Judges chapter 11. That's where I want you to turn to. Uh, in Judges chapter 11, uh, in the story of Jephthah. This time of year, I really love this time of year. I'm kind of weird, if you didn't know that. Uh, I like Halloween. I like dressing up, being silly. And this time of year, I often reflect on some of the Bible stories that are kind of strange. And I've done a series on that with our youth group in the past during the month of October on some just weird stories of the Bible. And to me, this one's kind of odd. This is kind of a weird story. And I want to, we're going to be doing a lot of reading, so I hope you've got your Bible opened up to Judges chapter 11. And if you don't know much about this story, I think you'll find it fascinating, uh, the story of Jephthah. 
And so we open up in Judges chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was, his, was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So we have a man named Jephthah. We learn several things about him in, this, in these two verses. In fact, it seems like we learn a lot uh, in just two verses. Uh, one, he's a, he's a warrior. Uh, he's a mighty warrior, as it's described. Also, he's the son of a prostitute. And Gilead is his father. So he has a pretty big name for a father. And we know that he is thrown out of his house. Because he was born of a prostitute. And so he's looked down upon by his own family. His own half-brothers and sisters have kicked him out of the family. Pretty much saying, see ya, we don't want anything to do with you. And so look at verse 3. It says, then Jephthah fled from his brothers, lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah. And went out with him. So Jephthah goes to this place. And he's surrounded by what the Bible calls worthless fellows. Collecting around him. Some versions say vain men. And your version may say something different as a description of these men. Uh, But these, these aren't necessarily evil or wicked men. But poor men. Men with empty pockets that are lazy. And don't want to do anything to gain their livelihood. But verse 1 tells us that Jephthah is a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior. So he sort of collects these men around him and becomes like their military chief. So pretty cool. He collects these worthless fellows around him. And from what I've studied and what I've kind of come to understand, they kind of become like Robin Hood and the Lost Boys. They aren't known for going and robbing people, but it's thought that they would go out and hunt as a group. And they would go on like raids into these other, into enemy territory, collect treasures and bring it back with them, with them and keep it. So they were like, they were like this group of lost boys. And uh, men like Jephthah, they gain a lot of fame because they're going throughout the land into enemy territory, taking their treasures. And so Men like Jephthah become famous in their lands because they're a mighty warrior, they're successful, they're taking down enemies, and that's just what happens with Jephthah. He was becoming lots, or very famous. And, you know, it's easy to, to stick with what seems like is working at the time. There are times in our lives when we feel like relying on ourselves is working, but maybe it's not. You know, these men in Gilead that kicked out their brother, they stuck with what seemed like was working. And they see their brother being successful and gaining fame, and they decided it was time to make a change. You know, Jephthah was out and about getting famous. People saw that. People saw his success, 
He didn't have to go around lauding his success or saying that he's successful. Look at me. People noticed it. His brothers noticed it. And they decided it's time to make a change. And so while Jephthah is out gaining all this fame, look at verses 4 through 6. At the time, the, after the time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader that we might fight against the Ammonites. Wow. So you think about the situation earlier where we kick you out and then just a few minutes later we beg you to come back in. That's where Jephthah's at. He's been kicked out. Now he's having success. He's gaining fame. And they run back to him and they say, Jephthah, please come. Help us fight against the Ammonites. You can imagine what's going on in Jephthah's head. Are you kidding me? You really think I'm just going to drop? I mean, I'm being pretty successful myself. Why should I come and help you? So Jephthah, you can imagine, is not very happy. Um, You think about a football team. Who is the most popular player on a football team? Maybe you've heard this saying. Often the most popular team or player on a football team is the backup quarterback, right? I know at Auburn right now, he's pretty popular, right, Johnny? (laughs) The backup quarterback is the most popular player on the team. And the reason is because when things start going south, everybody wants the backup quarterback. Everybody wants this guy to come in and take over, save the day, and make everything look great. Well, that's what's going on with Jephthah. He's like the forgotten, kicked out backup quarterback. And he's having success. Not necessarily in their city, but he's having success. And they say, hey, let's bring this guy back in. And everything's going to be rosy for us. So look at verse 7. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now? When you are in distress. It's hard to forgive people who have done you wrong. It's very hard. And this is the moment in the story. You know, oftentimes these characters in the Bible seem almost superhuman to us. But this is a moment in the story of Jephthah that I can relate to. And this is a moment where I say, yeah, Jephthah is human. He's just like me. Because he doesn't want to forgive the people who wronged him. He wants to stick it to them, right? He wants to say, look, uh, if you don't want me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, right? That's what he wants to say to him. I'm not going to come and help you. You kicked me out of my own father's house. So the, anyway, what happens is they keep begging him to be a part of their people again, to come be their leader, lead him to victory. And look at verse 9. Jephthah says to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. I'll be your leader. So bring me home, I'll give you this one battle. If everything goes well, then sure, I'll be your leader. Now I don't know what Jephthah was expecting at this point. I don't know if he expected 
that he would be successful or if he thought things would go bad. But Jephthah offers to be their leader. And from there, Jephthah, over the next several verses, he starts trying to communicate with the Ammonites, almost trying to bring some peace to the situation to prevent war. And he begins asking why they even want to have war and why this leader of the Ammonites wants to start something. You know, why are you trying to start something? What's going on here? And it really seems like Jephthah is handling it in the best way he knows how, with peace. Look at verse 29. This is where the story kind of starts to go south. Verse 28, excuse me. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. So despite all the work Jephthah had done to communicate peace, try to make things well, to keep things from getting violent, despite all of that, they didn't listen to him. Now, there are times in our lives where we do everything right and things still don't go the way we want them to. There are times in our lives where we try to communicate with someone we try to be a peacemaker. Things just don't go the way we want them to. We've all been there. Jephthah's there, and I imagine that he's frustrated. I know in times in my life when that has happened, it's frustrating. Jephthah's frustrated, and he wanted things to be peaceful. He didn't want to go to war. He didn't want things to be violent. Yet here we are, and look at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And so with the leadership of Jephthah, the Israelites start basically taking over these lands. They start going through these lands, heading towards war, And God was clearly with Jephthah. But at this point in the story, Jephthah feels like he has to do something to ensure his victory. That he has to do to make some sort of commitment to ensure that his people will be victorious. And so look at verses 30 and 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, Then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So he decides that when he leaves for battle, if he is victorious when he comes back, whatever comes out the door to greet him, he would sacrifice as a burnt offering. Now, also from something I've studied, Many have speculated that, he, that they kept animals just inside the door, just to the right, that he was probably expecting an animal to greet him when he came home from battle. And so you kind of understand why he's having this, uh, this type of uh, promise to God. So verse 32 and 33 So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them 
from Aror to the neighborhood of Meneth, 20 cities, and as far as Abel, Karamim, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. So they achieved victory by taking over 20 cities. It's a great battle, a great victory. They're having great success, and God has given the Ammonites into the hand of Jephthah. And so now at this point, this vow that Jephthah has made, this vow is coming into play. Because they're achieving victory, and they're about to come back home. And you can imagine Jephthah being very excited to come back home. He has achieved victory. He brought victory back to his people who have been struggling for a long time. And he's imagine him coming home expecting almost like a victory parade. You know, I think about when a team wins a major sporting event in America, the Super Bowl, the World Series. Often when they come back home, they have a massive parade. I think of the, the Chicago Cubs when they won, won the World Series recently. How huge the parade was and millions of people were there. And I think Jephthah's probably expecting that. Maybe not that scale, but he's expecting to come home and have this huge celebration. Let's go back to the story. Verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Man, buzzkill. He comes home, and maybe at this point he remembers his vow to God. That whatever came to greet him, he would sacrifice. And then his daughter comes out with tambourines, celebrating, maybe exactly as we were describing, maybe exactly as he expected, a a celebration for their victory. And his daughter comes out to greet him. You can imagine Jephthah is just distraught because at this very moment he realizes he's got to sacrifice his daughter, his only child. Look at verse 35. As soon as he saw her, so we get a glimpse here as to how quickly he remembered that vow to God. As soon as he saw her, you imagine it hit him. As soon as he saw her, He tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. He's tearing his clothes and realizes what he did. Imagine what the daughter feels. You know, I like to try, in in reading these stories, I like to try to think from the other perspective. Imagine the daughter, not knowing the vow that this, her dad has made to God, coming out, celebrating, and then him just start crying. Confusion, maybe, from her? I'm not sure how she would have felt. Dad, why are you crying? You, you won the battle? You won the victory? What's going on? And you just wonder what she felt when she came out praising him for the great things he's done, and he's just crying and tearing his clothes apart. Verse 36. She said to him, My father, 
you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies on the Ammonites. Wow. Listen to that response from this daughter. We don't know much about her. We don't have much else about her in the story. We get a little bit more as we read more. But after he starts crying and dealing with all this sadness, she could have said, uh-uh, let me, let me run away. Let's act like you didn't make that promise. Let's pretend like this never happened. Maybe God will forget. But she says, Dad, you opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me as you said you would. And so even though we only have a short piece of information about this girl, we see great faith in her. And we learn a lot about Jephthah. Because her daughter, or his daughter, probably learned faith from her dad. And the fact that he went into battle with God on his side and returned victorious, and she's willing to give her life for, for, for God because he said he would. He, he made that vow. So look at, at how this story unfolds. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I am my companion." So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. So she asked her dad, let me go up to the mountains and weep for my virginity. This allow, he allows her to go for two months. And even at this point, the human nature in me thinks, okay, she asked, let me go for two months, which seems like a long time, right? So let me go for two months, and I'm thinking, this is the point where she just stays. You know, Let me go up to the mountain and weep, Dad, and then just stay there forever. Or keep traveling and keep going and go somewhere else. Let me get away from this. And then she comes back to her father, which is showing even more of her faith. That's a lot of trust that he put in her. Because if she doesn't return, think about the implications for him. If she doesn't return, then he can no longer go through with the vow that he made to God. So he also puts a lot of trust in his daughter. But look at, look at how this keeps going, verse 39 and 40. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it become, became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Now I studied on this some, and there are a lot of different beliefs as to what it meant that he offered her. Um, some believe that the fact that they focused a lot on her virginity, some believe that she sacrificed her ability to have children, and that Jephthah gave that up, the ability to keep his family going. Uh, some have written about that and believe that, that God allowed this kind of sacrifice, that she never had a husband, was never able to have children. Some think that is the sacrifice that he made. But look back at verse 31, uh, verse 31 in chapter 11, when it says, 
Then whatever comes out of the doors from my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So when I read those other options, and then I read this, I read verse 31, that he promised to offer a burnt offering. And then he follows through with this promise. It seems to me, by looking at this passage, that his daughter was sacrificed. That he gave her life up for God. And the people of Israel were constantly in this terrible cycle of captivity, weeping and deliverance. It's just a cycle. I think this story shows just how bad things have gotten for them. What's amazing to me is, you know, he made this what seems like a mistake uh, by speaking too quickly without thinking about what could happen. But flip over as we get ready to close out to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The Hall of Faith. The faith chapter of the Bible. If you ever need something on faith, this is usually where you go. The Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm just amazed by Jephthah's commitment. Not only Jephthah's commitment, but his daughter's commitment to the Lord. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. It says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and he goes on and on. But how amazing that Jephthah is remembered in the faith chapter of the Bible. Jephthah did some great things. But what sticks out to me is his commitment to God. And it's challenging to me to read about Jephthah. And I'm sure it might be challenging to you. Where is your commitment to God? Where are you in following through with the commitment that you have made to live a life in service to God? And another question that I have to ask myself is what am I willing to give up to follow God? What am I willing to give up to follow God? And, and then to answer that question fully, I have to also ask the question, what is getting in my way from fully following God and His promises to me? What is getting in the way of me fully sacrificing my life and living as a living sacrifice to God? Jephthah promised his daughter, promised to give that sacrifice. And Jephthah followed through with his commitment. Are you following through with your commitment to God? If you've wavered from your commitment, what do you need to, to cut out of your life in order to fully give yourself to God? Maybe tonight is the time that you have decided to do as Teresa and Victoria have done today and be baptized into Christ to, to say, you know what? I am going to become one with my Savior and live a life in service to Him. Or maybe long, ad- long ago you made a commitment as Jephthah did to live your life in service to God, but you've forgotten that commitment because it asks just a little too much. 
You have to take up your cross, take up everything and follow Him. And that just seems a little too much. Maybe you've lost sight of that and you need to, to come back to Him. And I pray that whatever need you have tonight, that you'll take it seriously. That you'll think about the story of Jephthah and how far he was willing to go and that you would do that as well. If you have a need, come forward tonight as we stand and sing. There's a 